GM, everyone, and welcome to this emergency broadcast of Flywheel. <laughs> we have a lot going on. Uh, literally two days ago, if you had USDCT pegging by 10 cents on your bingo card, like, that's absurd. That's, that's insane. Like, if you had that on your bingo card, like, congratulations, you're a psychic. But I'm sure 90% of people didn't. So this is a pretty shocking black swan event. Um, you know, first it started with Silvergate. They wind down deposits and then SVB happened. And, you know, I'm just getting like reminders and murmurs of 2008. I mean, I was still in high school when that happened. I didn't really get the full gravitas of the situation or how things actually worked. But now it's like interesting being in DeFi for a bit and having this background and seeing like, oh, so they just basically made the wrong choices and wrong bets based on information they received and guidance they received from the Fed. And now everything got bellied up because of poor risk management. Um, Sam, you have been looking at this for the past uh, 12 hours doing research, compiling articles and getting all your thoughts together. What are, what do you make of the situation? And, you know, obviously what's on everybody's mind watching this is how will it affect Frax going forward? So I've been, I've been a stablecoin bull for like as long as I can remember, essentially since they came out. Uh, but yesterday was the first time where I've really been like shaken to the core about like what I saw, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, maybe this started with Doquan when he when he said that you know, by my hand, die will will fall, right? And then here we are, like a year and a half later, and and dies depeg ten percent, and so is Frax. But um, yeah, it's it's this previous forty eight hours has just been incredible. Uh, I think like before we get into the details of what happened. Uh, I just want to make clear that I think that this is all a result of a lack of policy and and clear guidance from the U.S. Where they've they've pigeonholed these stablecoin issuers into uh, really a gray area where you know they're operating as private companies, they're not a bank, they're not in the banking system, but they they have access to banks, and it, it's put them in this strange place where. Like we've seen with with Circle just a couple of days ago, you know they're they're having to keep their custody of the reserve assets at a bunch of different banks. So they have a um, they 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 have two things. So Circle's made up of cash and then short term treasuries. The short term treasuries will be held by a uh, securities broker somewhere, and that's fine. It's mainly then the cash that becomes an issue. Uh, taking a look at Circle's portfolio. They had about $11 billion in cash uh, that are spread out across six or seven banks right now, with the majority of it being at, at uh, Bank of New York Mellon. And the risk here, which I, I hadn't really thought about, but we see it now, is that one of these banks fails. You know, And uh, Silicon Valley Bank is, I think, the 19th, lar 19th largest bank in, yeah. inside the United States. It's this huge. Is not, yeah. This is not a small bank at all. And so I think Circle probably trusted them quite a bit based on how much they yeah. put there. Uh, they had about 33% or so, about 30% of their reserves at one bank, which seems like a lot. And I want to yeah. give some context about Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank has been around for over 40 years. It's an absolute institution in Silicon Valley. Anybody who's anybody banks there. It's highly recommended by VCs, other founders. Like if you're raising around and you know you just secured it, 
you go put your funds in SoCon Valley Bank. That's just a thing. If you were at like a major bank or traditional bank like Citi or JP Morgan or whatever, you would kind of get like laughed at like, oh, you're not an SVB, blah, blah, blah. So like SoCon Valley Bank was like the bank. And like the fact that it went belly up is, you know, it's, it's un- really unimaginable. Yeah. So like leading into, um, leading into the pandemic, Silicon Valley Bank was incredibly profitable. Uh, it was making about 20% return on equity mm-hmm. uh, versus its competitors, right? Who were only making about like 11 or 12%. So it had a huge advantage by catering to a specific sector, which would be early stage tech and then tech and then life sciences. That That constituted something like over 50% of their base was just these like two sectors. Mm-hmm. And that was great, right? So for the past 40 years, the tech, tech sector uh, has just been growing incredibly fast. So even even during the dot-com boom, uh, when things got really out of hand, uh, you know, the tech sector didn't slow at all. I mean, a- Amazon started then, uh, Google started then. You had all these companies that just like started in the wake of the 2001 uh, bust. And it just had been growing and growing and growing up until... Uh, the pandemic when like all of these, like, I mean, the, the poster child is like the soft bank uh, startup, right? Like Uber, Uber or um, WeWork or something where you have a company which just is burning cash, billions of dollars of cash mm-hmm. and uh, requires ever more financing. And that's great for a bank like Silicon Valley Bank, because they're the ones who are handling the financing. They're, they're, you know, helping companies raise new share or issue new shares. And then they're issuing all the loans for it. Um, but pandemic, kind of threw a wrench in everything. Uh, we were all kept at home. Businesses were shuttered. And that boom that came from uh, this this kind of tech text meteoric rise just ended. And venture funding kind of wound down, uh, which means that there was less money for the bank to make. Uh, also, the, um, the amount of money that these startups had declined as well, too. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this just put a lot of pressure on the bank coming yeah. into 2020. Uh, and mean- then, yeah. Yeah. I, and then and then into 21 and 21 and 2022, we had the, the massive uh, bailouts from the U.S. government. We increased the money supply by like 30 percent during that time. And uh, these banks, at especially at the top. Right. So like Silicon Valley Bank and some of its other peers were just like awash in new deposits. These companies had billions and billions of dollars that they just deposit into the bank. The bank has to find out something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the bank turned around. And, uh, you know, it does what any bank does. It deposits them into both a mixture of short-term and long-term securities. Unfortunately, the bank uh, and many other banks as well, too, Silvergate as well, uh, Silicon Valley, and I'm sure a host of other small and medium-sized banks uh, were essentially buying bonds at the top of a 50-year bull bond market where from the 1970s, bond yields had only gone down. And so, you know, buying long-term bonds was was never a significant threat to your business because you could just say, oh, hey, like in a, you know, in a couple of years or whatever, we're going to have, you know, a, a lower rate than we're having now. So let's just buy them. Uh, but this is really the first time where bond rates have gone up and they went up a lot. Uh, this The speed of the increase matters a ton. And it's come out, I saw yesterday that uh, Silicon Valley Bank and probably Silvergate as well, too, didn't hedge any of this um, interest rate risk. So while like I was buying a house at 3% with 3% mortgage and you know my parents were refining out of their house into like a 2.8% mortgage, like these are the banks that were buying that debt from us at these incredibly low rates 
And, you know, it just, it screwed them in, in the long term now. Yeah. It's pretty insane to think, oh, going back to what you said about like tech and SVB's role in it, like, you know, tech as a growth sector is relying on interest rates, not just like tech itself, but I guess the bank that finances them as well. And once those interest rates started to rise, you know, funding growth becomes less attractive and you kind of just get this, you know, domino effect of deposits leaving, you know, less investment and this and that. And, you know, it really marks an end of an era, the fall of like the fall and of SVB of, you know, what does this mean for not just crypto, but like growth and startups in the U S as a whole, like who's going to be the bank to fund them? You know, I feel like, and even from like a political stance, you have the right, or like you have the left like demonizing billionaires, you have the right demonizing, you know, the tech people, tech woke people, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't seem to like add up into a good situation at all. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be. I'm not sure. Like, I'm curious what the political will is to save. I'm sure that like, it's, you have to think like for the political will, like it's not just like a few tech companies. It's like all of Silicon Valley and a lot of early stage tech and not even just tech, but like life sciences and everything is relies on Silicon Valley bank. And even like even even the founders and them like the founders bank with them and you know get mortgages and houses and financing like this is an absolute disaster. This is the second largest bank failing in the U.S. after after uh, before Washington Washington Mutual back in two thousand eight. Um, you know, there's it's we're in the fact that like over the weekend we just have to wait till Monday. That's awful. <laughs> like this should have been figured out Friday. Like know. you know. And if they don't figure it out Monday, like there is a such thing as contagion. And you saw all those other, you know, stocks tank, like first Western Republic and other ones, you know, this is like the FDIC needs to like nip this in the bud. And like, I hate to like, now I understand like what the banks meant by like bailouts and stuff. And I hate to see a, like a, a, like use that term bailout, but like what should be done in this situation to like contain the fallout? So 2008 was a little bit different, right? Where the banks were were betting on like risky credit events, right? This is a little bit different where uh, the the speed of the rise in interest rates was so fast that financial institutions around the world, right? It's it's not just Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, yeah. this, is a, this is a global problem. Right? <laughs> this is like the tip of the iceberg, honestly. Yeah. I don't know if you remember uh, last year, I think it was in Q4 last year when the entire UK pension sector was under threat and had to get a bailout. They were like hours away from being uh, fully liquidated mm -hmm. because they had, uh, they had bet the farm on these like long-term uh, dated treasuries. I do remember that. Or the gilt, sorry, the gilts. Uh, and it, they, they had some weird synthetic products that they were using as well too. And just the, the speed of the rate rise, because normally they're like hedging this stuff, but the speed of the rate rise was so fast that it almost, it almost wiped out like hundreds of billions inside the, uh, for UK pensions and the the Bank of England actually had to step in and provide credit lines. Um, you know, I, the, this, we've never, we like nobody in our lifetime really has gone through an inflationary period. And so all of yeah. us are, are learning things for the first time about like how inflation works, how the rise in, in treasuries affects these different companies. And, you know, Silicon Valley bank and Silvergate are just one of the few first casualties. First of, casualties. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so my question now is like, is this a knock on to the broader economy or is this just a, um, is this just limited to the tech sector? Right. Because like the two banks that have failed so far pretty much have full tech exposure. Right. So Silvergate just had crypto exposure 
And, um, but like you said, yeah. like if this is, if like, you know, if banks made the same, uh, bet as Silvergate did and, or as, um, Silicon Valley bank did and bought like mortgage backed securities at 10 years and bought like long-term government bonds because, you know, that there's been like a bulk, there was no evidence to say the contrary, that these wouldn't be safe. And the fact that the fed, you know, went up so like increased interest rates so fast that the markets couldn't keep up basically to adjust mm -hmm. in a safe manner. Like this is beyond tech. This is just like the beginnings of something it seems like. And, you yeah. know, unless like this is like contained, you know, you know, the, like proper banks get, get acquired and whatnot. Like I, it's going to be a disaster. It's like, everyone's like, I don't know. I feel like everyone's been waiting for like, you know, is when's like, the th when's it, what's it going to happen? When's like 2008 going to happen again? Like what, when's the fall going to happen? Like how long can the party last? When's yeah. the music going to stop? And like, is this the music going to stop moment? I guess we won't find out till uh, Monday, Monday. I think, I think it's just starting like, honestly, because yeah. like now every investor analyst is going to be like hunting for blood, like looking through every single balance sheet to find like whatever, whatever information they can about the, mm -hmm. the, uh, collateral backing of, of every single Finco and bank out there. And I, I think this could really lead on to some bigger knock on effects. Like if you, if your balance sheet isn't good and you're over leveraged and you have exposure in this way to um, treasuries or just like interest rate, your interest rate sensitive, uh, I think you're about to get wrecked. And I think that it's going to be a long, like we're, we're like, whoa, how is it again? Like, wasn't there, wasn't there a big, gap between like Lehman and Bear Stearns. It was like about a mm -hmm. year, wasn't it? Yeah. And so if if Luna was the Lehman of our generation, right? We're finally getting towards like Bear Stearns where, you know, the the knock-on effects from Luna directly came and and uh, you know, precipitated everything that's happening now. So, you know, we've been living through this like down cycle for the past uh, like year or so, year and a half. And it's now just starting to spread to like the wider economy. And that's what makes me a little bit scared, right? Because mm -hmm. either either we're going to have a, this is the first time we've had like uh, destruction of the money base. So like a, a deflationary deflation in the money supply since like 1931. And the last time that happened, we went into a 10-year depression. So uh, I think unless the Fed comes in and starts to bail out these institutions, bails out the banks... Uh, it's going to be really nasty. And you know what? I have a response now. Yeah. This is, I, honestly, this is why Bitcoin was created. Yes. <laughs> this is literally like this situation was why Bitcoin is created. I know. <laughs> like literally like, so for people like, so like, like, you know, here, what I was just saying five, 10 minutes ago, like, because like in this dollar world, you know, you needed to be guaranteed by the federal reserve and fully U S government and all that. So like that's why bailouts and stuff happen, but if that doesn't work out, you have an option to exit into Bitcoin, which has yeah. proven to be the most lindy decentralized store of value over the past almost fifteen years, fourteen, fifteen years. Well, I think the biggest argument now is that um, the maximalists can ask the question: Can any can can the failure of any one bank bring down Bitcoin? And I would have to, I think the resounding answer is no. No. But now, now we have definitive proof that the entire DeFi system <laughs> no. as a whole is at risk because of, of one bank failure. Yeah. Like, repeat that. The entire yeah. DeFi banking system 
is at risk of failure because of one bank that isn't yes. even the, it's the 20th biggest bank. Yeah. That is bad. That is bad. I mean, like now you're giving, getting a case though for, um, you know, if like reassessing stable coins, it should, it should be a requirement for them to get like a Fed master account or like, you know, a stable coin issuer's license. And, um, you know, I hope like this doesn't create like some campaign by people in the federal government that like, oh, like only certain people like approved by us can issue stable coins. Like, you know, like it should be like a stable, there should be like a stable coin license, like exactly what the trust act said, um, given, you know, granted to people that like prove themselves worthy and smart enough to manage a stable coin. I might know a few cough, cough, <laughs> but you know, like the fed, like going back to stable coins, like the fed master, if like circle had a fed master account or like direct line to, or like, just even if they had the same setup as custodia, right? Where uh, custodia, custodia, yeah. custodia was not going to have a lending book. Everything was going to be one-to-one back. Like if, if circle had been able to bank through custodia, we wouldn't have this issue. Right. Exactly. Like, I That'd get, be- I get. I get why they've spread around the reserves, right? They don't. They don't want to have like they had three you know, billion in one place. I know, I know. That's insane. They had three billion. Like, I wonder if did 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 they try to just like wire three billion at once to get out of there? Probably like, could have. Probably should have tried. Yeah. I mean, I think they. Well, they said that like the wire. They initiated their wire on Thursday. I assume when they sell three billion dollars, like, oh, we can't do that. <laughs> what if they should have just done like a bunch of small deposits? I'm just speculating here, like a bunch of like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but it doesn't really solve the issue because like, you know, they only have seven banks or six banks or they had eight banks and then Silvergate dropped out. They got all their withdrawals. They got all their deposits back from Silvergate um, and then moved it into uh, Silicon Valley Bank. But then that one goes down, right? And now there's fears about uh, SBNY, right? About uh, SBNY? Or sorry, the uh, the Bank of New York Mellon, right? Where they keep this most of their assets. fears about the... Bank of New since when? Well, is it is it that one or is it? Sorry, no. don't quote me on this one. It's, I'm not I'm not trying to. We don't want to spread fud here. We got to be careful. I'm, I'm just trying to think of the. I'm trying to think. Oh, is the Signature Bank? There's questions about Signature Bank, right? Because like, mm-hmm. Signature Bank is also sitting on like two point three billion dollars in losses. I think, uh, which is more than what uh, uh, more than what Silicon Valley Bank has. So that's why I was saying like there's, there's blood in the water now. And now when mm-hmm. the sharks come and, and everybody's just going to be like, look, remember, remember, let's talk about, let's talk about like the game theory around bank runs, right? It's, these are, these are like very socially prone ideas where, you know, you have a choice. You can, you can move your money to another bank for free. Right. And, uh, at no cost and, and keep all your money. Right. Or you can keep your money in the bank and there's a potential to take a haircut in this case, maybe like 10 or 20%, right? Or you can, you know, like, like do nothing, right? So move your money or do nothing, right? And so like do nothing really, it, it's, it's always a worst case because like, why would you want to take those odds of like losing a haircut when you could just like move to a safer bank and be totally fine? So the bank runs are almost self-fulfilling because everybody wants to, everybody wants that like free lunch of like having a deposit account mm-hmm. where um, uh, there's not going to be any risk. But at the same time, they, uh, they all want to move their money at the same time. And so it just leads to like a two day collapse of one of the biggest institutions in America. Yeah. Like what SVB needs to do on Monday mm-hmm. is say like all our deposits are fully backed and fully redeemable. Well, in, in so I think, I think, the the, system. yeah, I think the, I think the, the best thing that could happen, right. Bullish news that could come out is one Silicon Valley bank finds a buyer. 
which it wasn't able to do on Thursday or Friday. So uh, looking into the news, actually, what, what happened was a little bit deeper. So I'm, let me just go through the timeline of, mm-hmm. of what I found. So uh, do you want to do you want to start with Silvergate or do you want to start with um, Silicon Valley? Let's start with Silvergate. Okay. So, um, you know, Silvergate had taken in uh, quite a lot of deposits. I think about like $12 billion in deposits um, at the, the peak last year. And uh, like Silicon Valley, I mean, it's a tale of two banks, right? But they both did the same thing. They went out, Silvergate bought a ton of 10-year tax-free muni bonds, which on the face of it, if you're like a normal bank, is like a pretty like average thing to do. Uh, Unfortunately, they were buying bonds when the interest rates were about 1.4% during last year. They probably bought it like 1.5%. And now those bonds are trading in the the fours and fives, maybe even higher in in sixes, depending on what risk level they had. Uh, But you know, the thing about bonds, right, is that it's not like a, a bond is not like a stock, right? Mm-hmm. So a, st- a stock is like you kind of have to conjure a price out of the air. The, the, the price is just what the market sets it at. On the other hand, bonds uh, have a very defined pricing mechanism where it's, it's almost a science. Uh, you essentially uh, take how much is left in the bond versus what the actual yield is right now. Uh, and then you can use some just basic math to, to come up with the, what the bond price should be down to like the cent. And so uh, if you're buying at very low rates and then rates increase, uh, the bond price is gonna fall and it's gonna lose a lot of its value. Uh, so Silvergate bought a bunch of these bonds and then they experienced uh, Luna, 3AC, FTX blow up. They lost 90% of their uh, depository base. Uh, and at that point, uh, I think what, two weeks ago? Uh, they started having issues. They shuttered their sin. Uh, they also had a, uh, a home loan. So the FHLB had provided them with $4.3 billion uh, as a loan. And uh, they actually called that back in January. So they called that loan back early. Uh, Silvergate paid it back within two months. Uh, but at that point, their, uh, their losses kind of were starting to creep to the point where it just didn't make sense for them to operate anymore. Uh, and at that point, they decided to wind down operations. Uh, thankfully, everyone got their money back <laughs> in full uh, to what they put into Silvergate. I think that's the best best news out of this story is that yeah, they they were able to wind yeah. down properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while in this case, where you have a bank that is that is you know, uh, you could say that the Silvergate operations were were run much better than than Silicon Valley, even though they say made the same mistakes in in allocating their uh, collateral reserves. Uh, Silvergate did a better job. So. With uh, Silicon Valley, it worked out a little bit differently, right? So, uh, same thing. They had lost a bunch of deposits, or sorry, they they had um, their share price had like lost a ton coming into the beginning of this year. I think about sixty percent as the sector was cooling, uh, venture rounds were down, and just their revenue was was declining. Um, and then uh, last week, right? So around like last week, maybe on Thursday, Friday, the week before, uh, Moody's announced that they were planning a credit downgrade for uh, for Silicon Valley Bank. Now, over the weekend and into the beginning of part of the week, uh, Silicon Valley reached out to uh, several investors uh, to sell $20 billion of its liquid short-term bond portfolio. Uh, and they were going to do this at a $1.8 billion loss. And then they also were going to sell uh, $2.25 billion in new shares to bolster its balance sheet. Uh, to to fight the downgrade, really to like keep this downgrade for happening. 
Um, unfortunately, this really spooked the market, right? So the the share issuance, which would dilute uh, existing investors, I think they were mm-hmm. going to add like another like 30% of shares on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are going to be heavily diluted. Uh, they sold a huge portion of their liquid bond portfolio. It just spooked investors. Yeah. So com- coming into midweek on like Wednesday, uh, you saw in the news that Peter Thiel and other high profile VC funds were publicly advising their companies to pull all of their funds out from Silicon Valley Bank and just move to another thing. And so this this is what really like sparked the run. Uh, and then over the next few days, uh, the share price plunged another 60%. So what sparked yep. the run is, was Peter, you're saying that because of the rank, like the rating of SVB went down and then they were going to issue more shares to dilute uh, mm-hmm. existing investors, it was all these bad signs. And so Peter Thiel and friends were like to their portfolio companies, yo, you should just jump ship, just get <laughs> just out. Get, yeah. And just like, that's when you're talking about the game theory and whole thinking around a bank run. Yeah, exactly. Like get your, get your money out first, move it to another bank, you know, you'll be safe. And then, uh, you know, everybody who's left will have to deal with the haircut coming. Um, and so they did. I mean, you saw billions of dollars run out of, of Silicon Valley Bank. I think they, they processed like 60 or $80 billion worth of, of withdrawals uh, just in the past week. And by Friday, uh, the damage was done. It was just over. Uh, the, the bank's shares were halted uh, for public trading. Uh, the, the bank was shut down and it was put into uh, receivership by the FDIC. And, and also, it. also, it's important to say, like, it was shut down first by the California regulators. It was under yes. charter from the California, the state of California. And it was, they were like monitoring the situation first and the ones that like moved in. I wonder if it was under a federal charter, if the FDIC was monitoring it closer, if things would have been different and things would have been more orderly per se. Uh, you know, I think the problem here is just, um, it, you know, the bank was already having issues, right? Like at the end of the day, this was the bank's fault because they bought all that debt and they were incurring these huge losses and they didn't hedge it and they didn't hedge it. So, you know, it's, it's their fault at the end of the day. I don't think there's anything regulators could have done. Uh, it's, it's really just the bank's risk management team that like that exposed themselves to this and, and didn't hedge it properly, but hedging is expensive it pulls down earnings when earnings were already suffering. And so maybe it just didn't make sense. Maybe they thought that, you know, rates weren't going to go as well. In hindsight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Someone called Captain Hindsight over here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just unfortunate. You know, there's, I, I saw on Twitter and you probably saw this as well too, uh, that there's like thousands of like portfolio companies. Bank oh, it's like, awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, imagine just like raising around and then all of a sudden just getting rugged, like or not getting rugged yet, but like having uncertainty like this. Or just your you have you have your payroll. Million dollars, you have ten million dollars <laughs> stuck in Silicon Valley Bank and you got payroll, right? Now you can't pay anybody. Yeah. Right? You got you gotta go out. You have to go to, I saw Brex was providing like credit lines for um for companies. Or you gotta go back to your your VCs and like ask them to give you a loan. Like <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. I, um, I think, I, I really think this is going to have knock on effects for California, which is the, you know, it's, it's like its own economy, right? It's like the size of Portugal. It's I the think. fifth largest economy in the world, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Like, and now you have like the biggest sector in California, just like the huge problems, right? There's yeah. billion, billions of dollars that, yeah. that no longer will be going to taxes or being spent. Uh, people are going to be out of jobs soon. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's, 
let's move on to how this like how this affects USDC and like what happened in USDC, and then mm-hmm. in turn like how it affects Frax because you know yeah we're not blind or ignorant to the facts of like you know I mean, it was so interesting to hear last week Sam talk about like the risk free asset like what's the closest thing to a risk free asset in crypto. And last week, that risk-free asset was USDC. You talk to anybody, it was USDC. And that was because, you know, USDC existed in the regulated U.S. financial system as much as possible, while Tether was, exists outside the U.S. regulatory framework and is more of a black box. But right, right now, Tether is the risk-free asset. Like, you know, like that is some uh, irony in this plot that we are all in right now, that Tether people are fleeing to tether for safety and um you know yeah <laughs> i wonder how yeah. bitfinex feels <laughs> well you know it comes down to the transparency and opaqueness of these two assets yeah like circle shares their balance sheet every month every month you know exactly where they're invested they've they've said multiple times which banks they were with and this is actually what caused the whole run is that uh, jeremy and Circle had said several times, these are the banks that we're working with. It's like six or seven banks. And like, you know, this is the exact makeup of our um, of our uh, reserves, where $11 billion is with these banks. And then we have like $33 billion uh, invested into treasuries. And so people jumped on that immediately uh, all over Twitter, trying to figure out like, you know, how much was the loss going to be? Uh, how big, how much was Circle exposed? And um, at that point, USDC started to sell off. Uh, you know, at first it was just like half a cent, but like as time went on, uh, well, the first big the first big shock was Coinbase and Circle came out and said that they weren't going to handle redemptions uh, or they were pausing redemptions. Uh, but no, the first big shot was uh, the tweet just like kind of re saying what oh, yeah. was already known, and everyone was like, "Yeah, we knew that." How much was in SVB? And then they came like, out to say that three billion dollars was in SCB. Well, they called it, didn't, didn't that guy call Circle? And he was like, yeah, we don't have anything to tell you at the moment, but we'll get back to you. <laughs> and that was the first, that was the first indication where like, oh man, like they, if, if it was, if it was like a nothing burger, right? If they had like minimal exposure to Silicon Valley Bank, they would have come out immediately and said like, you know, we, we have minimal exposure, but this was like, they waited. Yeah, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, they didn't anything. say anything for a while, which means that they were figuring out how with their PR teams like, how do we how do we present this in the right way? Uh, and the right way was just like leaking the number eventually. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think 10k tier 10k came out had a big had a big uh, tweet about like 3.3 billion, and then it was just off to races to figure out like what's the exposure here? What should the like what should the peg be at? Coinbase turned Coinbase and Circle turned off redemptions, which understandably is you know, has to happen because the banks are like, honestly, if this, if this had, is this had happened on Thursday versus on Friday, we wouldn't be having these issues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cause this would have been, the banks would have been open. Banks would have been open. Right. Also if circle had a uh, uh, fed master account access, they could have gone and gotten uh, like short-term loans uh, in the form of like repos or something else from the fed uh, and been able to shore up all of this instead of having to like deal with this shit. Right. Um, Really unfortunate. Uh, and so uh, the, re- I think the redemptions being off is like the big thing. Every just, everyone just fled for the, fled for the hills. Uh, overnight, USDC traded all the way down to 86 cents, which is just unbelievable. 
unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, There's like nowhere to exit from too. <laughs> yeah, so, until Monday. Yeah. Monday. Yeah, Monday. Monday. But uh, <laughs> it like I saw some back that I saw some back of the napkin math right where uh, everybody's doing all these assumptions like the the kind of like broad overall general general assumption about Silicon Valley Bank is that depositors are going to get probably somewhere between like 75 and maybe 80% of their funds back based on the assets that they have. Now, if, if Circle didn't see any outflows out of their $43 billion portfolio, this would be really minimal. This would be about like a, a billion two in losses on a $43 billion asset. That's like 2%. They make so much money with their... Uh, with their short-term treasuries right now, they're making like 4% on short-term treasuries at the moment, which is about a billion two years. So like within the year, they would make that up and it would be, they would be profitable again. The fear now is that there's going to be this massive run uh, to safety from USDC and that uh, the supply of USDC is going to draw down from like 43 billion to like, I don't know, 10 or 20 billion. And at that point, that's when the, uh, the, uh, 3.3 billion really becomes an issue because it's an illiquid asset. It's, it's not liquid. And so, uh, it, it has to be just taken out of the equation if you're planning to cash out. Uh, and so like at a, at a $20 billion reserve uh, amount, uh, that 3.3 billion now becomes like 15% of the, uh, of the supply is now liquid and that should probably be priced in. So you like USDC in theory would trade at like 85 cents. Right. If it goes down to 10 billion, now it becomes like 33, and USDC would probably trade like somewhere in the 70 cents. Right. Um, so there's there's just a huge risk that that there's this massive flight coming, uh, and and Circle is and USDC is just going to get hammered from it. But that's like the really this really nasty bear case. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Silicon Valley Bank finds us uh, a um, a buyer. Uh, number two, if Circle can get a credit line from someone you know, Coinbase or one of the other big institutional partners it has just coming in saying like, here, here's, here's 3.3 billion, right? In credit, we're fully covering this and we'll recoup whatever we can from the, this illiquid asset. That would also be very helpful as that well. That would be too. huge. That would be yeah. huge. Yeah. Uh, like it's the most important thing is for SVB and Circle to come out strong off the, out the gate on Monday, mm-hmm. you know, to this is, and this isn't just about like, you know, circle not being able to like meet redemptions or some startups unable to bank this is like stop an actual national bank run <laughs> like like yeah. like this is bigger than just usdc and like in, in, the, in the case of like DeFi, like DeFi runs on usdc ever since the beginning usdc was like the de facto reserve asset of DeFi. It's, you know i've always said tether is the stable coin of centralized exchanges usdc of DeFi, and now you're gonna have this situation where like how how are people going to trust USDC again? I think it's going to be up in the air. Like my, you know, what I what I concluded with in the article that I was writing for today was essentially that like until there's a change in the administration, uh, or until like the stablecoin bill that that you gave your policy presentation on, uh, until something like that passes, I think we're just going to be in this like weird gray area mm-hmm. where you know companies like Circle just do not have. The proper rails or protections, yes. you know, hundred percent. They're just at the mercy of these intermediaries, and this is exactly why Sam says we need a Fed master account. Anything yeah. else, nothing, everything else is not 
doesn't cut it. It's not the risk-free asset. And like we're seeing it like play out in real time. We're seeing it's really amazing seeing his thesis play out in real time, but in just like the most awful way possible, in the most unfortunate way possible. Yeah, like he's been honestly, pro- yeah, proven yeah. right, but like, at, like at what cost? I think I think that you know this is honestly it's been really hard for Frax over the past uh, forty eight hours. Um, this is like the only depegging that's ever happened in the history of the platform. Yeah. And like, it's not even, it's not like anything wrong with the protocol or any, yes. like, you know, it was literally because of the underlying collateral. Like, I guess like you can say the economic assumption of USDC being the risk-free asset, which before Friday was the, you know, proper assumption. And like, once that assumption failed, then it's like really not just the frax issue. It's all of DeFi. Yeah. You know, you know, I had, a. I had proposed back in, um, when was it, uh, 2021, to make USDT part of the, um, uh, part of the, um, the treasury. Um, and it got voted down back then. But I wonder, I wonder if we had that vote again, like today, whether that would pass to like split the treasury into like half USDC, half USDT. I mean... I guess it's better to diversify, but it really doesn't solve the issue of, you know, you're still relying on centralized intermediaries and USDT is still a black box. Yes. Yeah. Well, that that's part of I know. And I understand. Look, I, I, I realized in the aftermath of what, um, of that vote not passing of like why it wasn't passed because just, uh, you know, Tether does not have the best reputation right <laughs> it really doesn't and there's been times where they've been like under collateralized by like billions of dollars and that's not something that you really want to be uh collateralizing the um look at what the, happened the luna went down to like 95 cents yeah exactly yeah so is that do you really want that risk and so you know maybe there maybe the maybe there is more risk in tether still just because it's opaque and you don't know what's there um but yeah, we'll see. I, I think, think we'll, we'll. Yeah. Do you think DeFi is gonna make a turn towards more decentralized money? And by that, I don't mean LUSD and Rye. I mean towards ETH and ETH pegged stablecoins. No, no, it's just harder, and the the amount of uh, dollars that you can create is constrained uh, much more. Yeah, no, no. I mean for like ETH, just like oh, well, right now, yeah. Still, like uh, ETH is cons- the thing is like ETH is the most decentralized money, and you wouldn't have this issue. But you take, but in return, you have like massive volatility, so it's hard to use it as a stable coin because it's not stable. But like, you know, these are like the trade offs of being a small, you know, still in an industry in its infancy. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I can't. I, I, I think the. I think there's just such demand for dollars that are uh, like USDC that uh, it, it it's not going to go away. It's just going to be maybe maybe another new you know this would be a perfect time for a new competitor to come into the arena that was provide like if if Frax could get their master account like today, I think it would. Be, should got it, they should be getting it yesterday. Yeah, there's no political will. Uh, you know, if Frax could if Frax could solve the the Fed master account problem and and uh switch to frax usd from usdc i think it would be a huge pr win and probably would lead the next wave of stable coins yeah yeah i mean it's either that or you know there's no other 
option really than a fed master account and you know yeah and yeah i remember just the, i forget what yeah. i was just watching um that what was i just watching? It was just going over the regulatory environment and all the different. Oh, was it? It was the recent chopping block interview that just got released today with Arthur Hayes, um, where it goes over like you know all the different regulatory actions, like <laughs> like like you know from the federal government or from you know the federal reserve. I think it was that. It might have been something else, but they really they just had something on with Arthur Hayes. It's just like it was a good episode. Yeah, well, I have to. I'll have to go take a listen to it. You know, I think at the end of the day, Sam's going to come out. Uh, oh wow! Very, very you just sent me this at USDT as a collateral asset. Yeah, that was that was uh, FIP uh, Frax Improvement Protocol number four. Oh, I just looked. It got no <laughs> votes. Well, I think it's the it's the old uh, it's the old controller or something like that. Uh, it's that not recorded sense. in the snapshot, um, but it didn't pass. Uh, and we didn't have the governance. It's not in the governance forms or anything. You had to go all the way back to the end of the snapshot. Um, mm. I think you know, the more that I look back upon it, I think you know Sam has been very consistent in what he's been saying for the last year, and I hope that he uses this uh, to um, this to be really good PR for Frax. Really, is if he went out and kind of became the uh, the standard bearer. Uh, against against circle in this case of like leading the charge politically or like with against circle, cir- right? with circle with no circle. no not not against circle but like you know essentially saying like look I was talking about this a year ago about how um, you know the the Fed master account uh, access was necessary and that uh, we just had poor solutions and yes we relied on USDC but at the end of the day um, you know we knew it wasn't a good option and we wanted to switch to a better one so it's it's a failure of lawmakers it's a failure of congress it's a failure of the regulators to to grant these uh protocols like us like maker like anybody else right to 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 not bring us into the banking system and give us that access and instead deny us and and lead to this massive massive uh uh you know financial crisis that we're seeing right now with USTC yeah i mean there, I think there is something an opportunity to, you know, capitalize uh, publicly. Yeah, my my mic. Apologies. There, oh, man. there is an opportunity to, you know, go out there and turn the situation around in the public forum, um, using the proper language and communicating the right message. Um, and I think that is with like the Fed Master account um, and that drum that Sam has been beating over the past what six seven months since our his first interview with us back in November back in November of 2022. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And at least Frax has Frax Heath. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, this week's Frax check is going to be pretty incredible. This is going to be <laughs> the most memorable Frax check. I mean, did you see that 17% APR projected right there because of that massive MVB yeah, yeah. Uh, score? That's insane. Yeah, um, crazy. Yeah. Like, Kit's going to have his work put out for him. Yeah. So Kit, you're sleeping and we're sorry that you can't be on this emergency pod, but we're doing Frax check on Tuesday. So yeah. or actually tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we should just wrap this up around uh, mm-hmm. now. This is a solid amount of time. Um, thank you everyone for joining us for this emergency broadcast of Flywheel about the uh, USDC situation and the depegging. Uh, I'm your host, <laughs> DeFi Dave. I'm here with uh, Sam McCullough aka Traders Insight. You can find him on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. And if you want all the emergency broadcasts, all the alpha, everything you need, 
Go subscribe down below, flywheeloutput.com. Hit that bell button on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure that you're here with us on Telegram too, uh, at flywheeloutput, uh, Twitter at flywheeloutput. And we will see you next time. Stay strong, everybody. We got this. We'll make it through. We'll make it through. (laughs) Peace. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.